0: May contain violence, a horror appreciation podcast. I am your sole host today, Mallory. Even though, with much convincing, I could not get Edward to join me in this recording, so I put him back in the box. Mw-ha-ha-ha-ha. I'm going to be reviewing Blood in the Snow Film Festival. Uh, it is a horror film festival that takes place in November in Toronto, and this year I believe they had a partnership with the Super Channel. And that took place over Halloween weekend from October 29th through 31st. Uh, And the in-theater screening at the Royal Cinema, which is in the College in Osington area, uh, took place from November 18th to 23rd. So I actually attended the first night of screenings on November 18th. And it was a nice little date night for me and the hubs. He actually agreed to go to a movie with me on Thursday night, which is very rare for him because he works so early in the morning. Um, Usually we're, when I'm working with with downtown, because we both work downtown, we're usually up at five in the morning. So getting home late is not usually a win situation for us. (laughs) And uh, he really loves to sleep when he can get it. Um, so, again, super shocked that he actually agreed to go on this lovely little date night with me. Um, usually I'll go alone or go uh, go with a friend, but, uh, yeah, it was a nice little touch, so thank you, hubby. I do appreciate you, I do love you, and stay in the box. Uh, I'm going to be reviewing Vicious Fun, which is a Canadian horror comedy film that was directed by... Cody Callahan and was written by James Villeneuve and it stars Evan Marcus, Amber Goldvarb Ari Millen uh, Robert Mellet, and and, uh, Julian Richings and David Koechner which was a really nice surprise for me because I love him Uh, and you might know him from Anchorman, he played Champ, uh, one of the best friends of Ron Burgundy, and possible admirer, and then, uh, then also as David Packer from The Office, but I enjoy (laughs) his brand of comedy, he's quite funny. Um, so seeing him, I knew exactly what tone this movie was going to take, and his character is nothing short of interesting. Um, and, uh, I guess we'll launch into it. Uh, Vicious Fun is about a young man named Joel. He is a film critic, a horror film critic, who lives in Minnesota. And this film takes place in 1983. Uh, I should have said Minnesota, but I don't know if that's the proper accent for Minnesota. I'm not sure if that's not... I don't know if that is or for Nebraska, but either way, um, <laughs> uh, Joel is a horror film critic, and he works for a magazine called Vicious Fanatics. Um, he's di- at the beginning of the film. He's interviewing a B movie horror director, Jack Portwood, who keeps calling it "Vicious Fun." It should be called "Vicious Fun." So, a little bit of a play into the title there, um, but I think there's a lot more layers to this film than, uh, just that, obviously. Um, Joel is such a fan, like most horror fans, or fanatics, um, uh, and he proposes an idea for a film, uh, and this kind of carries throughout the rest of the movie, um, he proposes the idea of a taxicab killer, so a killing taxicab driver, serial killing taxicab driver, let me add that layer, because it's gonna, let's keep that in mind, serial killers, Uh tap yourself on the nose, Um, and Jack goes, that's a horrible idea. Keep that in mind for later, kids. <laughs> um, and that whole taxi cab story sort of carries throughout. Um, Joel's a bit of a loser. I wouldn't say a loser. I just think he's someone in his mid-twenties who's trying to figure himself out. Hasn't quite figured himself out yet. But he lives with his roommate, Sarah, who he has a crush on. We're not even going to... Pretend to hide it here. He's waiting around at home for Sarah to get home. And she's on a date with a man who drives a nice car. Who seems to have it together more than than uh, Joel does. Um, and Joel takes it upon himself uh, to... Instead of going out and being on his own and probably wandering the streets at night or doing whatever else, he decides to follow Bob, who was Sarah's date. First of all, we don't know his name is Bob. We obviously learn that once Joel meets him at the bar, but he decides to follow this guy to the, this Chinese restaurant uh, in sort of a industrial area, look like. But. Uh, uh, Joel meets Bob, proceeds to get drunk, uh, Bob tells him how he was on a date with a girl who, and first or second or third, how many ever dates it was, was the, it was Sarah, um, and he talks, she was talking about her loser roommate, obviously Joel's a little bit upset, who, you know, he's Hoping for a love connection. I you know, I hate to say it, but that doesn't always work out, fellas. Um but uh the only reason Joel followed Bob to the bar in the first place, air quotes followed. We know stopped, um was because he saw a wedding ring on his finger. But it's all a ruse. Um but Joel gets drunk. Throws up, passes out in a closet. The bar is closed. Bar restaurant is closed. He wakes up. He wanders out to the main bar area, and he stumbles into a support group for serial killers, which is quite comical. <laughs> um, led by Zachary, played by David Keckner. Um, and Zachary's a contract killer. He works for the government. He does secret operations, so he's got a massive body count. Let's just say body count is what counts when it comes to a serial killer measuring contest, Um, and then we have uh, Fritz, played by Julian Richings, who is more of a robot. He's more interested in the method of killing and how long he can keep a victim alive and and continue that process of torture and kill torture and kill revive um, and then we have uh, um, Robert Mallet who plays uh, he plays Mike and Mike is kind of... Uh, the, the, again, this movie leans into some horror tropes here. He plays sort of a, a campground killer, sorority killer, so I would say that I would liken him to Jason or Michael Myers. So, and he, he kind of he's he's got the body size to be more likened to both or leatherface but he doesn't really give me leatherface vibes he gives me more jason michael myers vibes um and and then we have hideo um and hideo is played by um give me one second hideo play is played by sean bake um i can't, I've seen him before, I just can't remember where I've seen him before. But, anyways, continuing on, Hideo is a renowned chef, sushi chef, uh, or just chef in general for fusion. And he's also, surprise, surprise, a cannibal. Um, so, Joel gets has a case, case of mistaken identity. They think he's another guy named Phil. They're quite tight-knit. They're quite afraid. They keep mentioning Utah, who is another serial killer, but they only refer to him as Utah, so we never know who Utah is. Let's just throw that out there. And uh, we also have Carrie, who her body count may be less than everybody else, but uh, we also know that Carrie at the beginning of the film, just killed a guy in his car who may have been a serial killer trying to kill her. But is she a Dexter or is she something else? We don't know. Um, But Joel plays along. Again, the taxi cab story (laughs) comes into play because he says he's a taxi cab serial killer um, to blend in. Um, and sort of has the group believing him. That is, until dun-dun-dun Bob shows back up again and messes everything up because Bob is similar to a Patrick Bateman type where he's a chameleon and he can slide in and out of anywhere um, because he's just so good at being a sociopath serial killer. And Bob's uh, enjoyment is dating girls and then killing them on whether it be the third or the fourth or the fifth date but he enjoys the the art of the chase and kill um, and each one of the serial killers has their own proclivity uh, again Fritz is probably the most interesting character like I mean aside from Bob because Bob really plays it up Um, but Fritz is a robot, but he also enjoys, um, dressing up like a clown, which everyone knows, I'm not a big fan of clowns, I don't like them, but, ooh, this added a whole extra layer, it actually gave me the creepy heebie-jeebies so hard, I was just like, oh god, and he's, and, um, you know, Julian is... If you've seen him before, he's been in um, many a Canadian show where he's played um, the creepy librarian, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and I'm just, to me, because of how thin he is, he's just, oh, he sort of plays a mime like role in this. He really leans more into mime as a character. Um, I wouldn't say he's a full out clown. I'd say more he takes on ma- a more mime uh, like approach to the clown character. Um, but yeah. Whew, this one got me. Um, <laughs> I'm a little shook. Uh, but uh, Joel is trying to figure his way out of the situation. Bob kind of Ruins the whole thing, susses them out within, uh, I'd say, mere minutes. Um, And Joel's forced to try to make an escape, but uh, if it weren't, I'd say Carrie comes to the rescue. Because uh, I'm not going to give too too much away about the movie. The ending is very satisfying, by the way. But Carrie is kind of a badass. Um, again, she's, she can hold her own. She's a tough lady. Um, and I'm kind of glad that this film didn't lead into, uh, the idea that Joel and her somehow find love in a hopeless place. Sorry, I had to quote Rihanna right there. Sorry, David. (laughs) But, uh, again, I'm just kind of glad they didn't push that whole moonlighting. Uh, like you know, star-crossed lovers. Like you know, the way that sometimes films take, oh, we sort of take that route, and I'm glad that they didn't do that here. Um, and uh, and the endings, again, the endings very satisfying. Um, and Ari did a great job playing Bob. I mean, he was mesmerizing. Uh again, he sort of just drifted, he kind of up the ante. Like he drifted in and out of like psychotic to normal. I mean, again, he's playing into that chameleon like quality. and he sort of does that Bob's char- Bob, the character. Um, he's been a real estate agent. He's uh, been a doctor, uh, a lawyer, kind of a catch me catch me if you can type of situation. But again, using the, all those different aliases as a way to sort of sneak through and sneak by and and pass as normal in society. And uh, I again, he just he he's he's so good at what he does. Uh, and I I've seen pictures of Ari Millen before, and I've seen him in a few bit parts, but uh, he definitely. Like, the blonde just added that extra layer of, like, 80s, but also just, like, the heightened, like, like, gosh, um, like, Ken and Barbie killers. Like, real serial killers that we know. Um, I mean, I'm just pulling from experience, um, having grown up uh, in the 90s, uh, with Paul Bernardo and Carla Kamolka, the, the, the you know, the perfect blonde archetype, blonde hair, blue eyes, you know, the perfect man and he is not, ladies, he is not, um, but oh god. Again, he, he was mesmerizing and again he upped the ante he he is unrelenting in his pursuit of Joel because, again, Joel's a witness, and witnesses have to be, uh, wiped out as quickly as possible, but, um, again, this was a solid cast, like, I mean, each, um, each cast member held their own, um, each, uh, again, um, each had, had their time to shine, uh, I think Bob kind of Really took the lead because he was sort of the de facto leader after Zachary. Uh, again, sociopaths kind of just slide into those roles quite easily uh, but again, um, not did not hate the did not hate the ending. I really enjoyed the ending, and uh, we also got a nice tie up for Sarah because Sarah and Joel come to terms with their relationship and what it is, and and Sarah's a good friend, and she was actually played by uh, um, Alexa Rose Steele, who you might know from the Degrassi series, but she's also um, related to Cassie Steele, who was, uh, again, also on the Degrassi series, The Next Generation, um... She played, uh, um, I can't remember her name right now, but she, she played one of the original series, uh, um, characters, and, uh, honestly, like, I, I recognized her, right away. I was like, oh my god, that's Alexa, um, but she played another character later on in the series, um, actually related to Joe, um, Paul Mastroianni's character, Joey Jeremiah, he played her, she played his daughter. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, again, um apparently this film had an 87% uh, fresh review, which was great. Um And I'm hoping that this makes its way to Shudder or whatever streaming website there is out there, because this was a solid entry. Um, and again, everyone shone, and the ending was satisfying and a very good wrap-up, and uh, for an, a film that was an hour and 45 minutes, sorry, not an hour and 45 minutes, I believe and just, yeah, an hour and 40, 41 minutes, or 51 minutes, but it was a perfectly paced film from start to finish. I did not feel bored. Um, the audience, I mean, the immersive experience of being in the audience and laughing together, um, was great. (laughs) And, uh, again, um, really, really solid, solid film. Uh, but I think that I will, uh, now move on to the short films that took place before the, uh, screening which was the, um, Monster Upstairs. Uh, both were directed by Ryan Cordry, and his girlfriend, um, also was an Akira. And The Monster Upstairs, we all, and I mean, uh, both, uh, the inspiration for both short films was kind of being stuck at home during the quarantine during this past year and a half. So, again, um... I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed both, they were, they were cute, um, the monster upstairs, uh, we've all, at some point, lived in an apartment, or, a, uh, you know, we, <laughs> we have loud parents, or loud siblings that stomp across the floor, but, not at two in the morning, but for those of us who live in an apartment, we know that uh, sometimes our... Upstairs neighbors are night owls, but uh, uh, Kira, and, Kira and Ryan are woken up at two in the morning uh, by a stomp, stomp, stomp up in the upstairs apartment, uh, so Ryan goes to investigate, um, also probably to give whomever uh, was doing the stomp, stomp, stomp uh, a good Talking to you because who the heck stomps around at two in the morning? Are you insane? I'm also not calling you out, David, because I know you're a night owl. And <laughs> please don't take this. I know that you're not that loud. Um, uh, but a few hours pass. Uh, Kira's pot falls back asleep. She wakes up. Ryan's not in bed. It's four in the morning. Oh my gosh, that's quite a long time. But there's still stomping going on upstairs. What's going on? Of course, uh, their cat, uh, also played a part in this, um, a nice little jump scare. And, uh, lo and behold, the stomp, 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 Brian's turned to a monster and he's crawling across the ceiling! Um, the visual effects were pretty neat, I'm gonna say that much, uh, but the ending was, was kind of cute. I'm just going to say it was cute. I think that um, it was a good comedy startup. Um, And then we also have the Call of Cable cable which I think is kind of like the Call of Kaluthu. Um, But I, I think that we all again, we all have a box somewhere in our space that has a bunch of wires and cables that and just random things that we're not willing to let go of because, you know, we might need them someday, um, like that catch-all box, and in Ryan and Kira's apartment, uh, there is a box of cables, and Kira's like, you can't throw any of them away because the one day that you need to throw away that cable, you're gonna need it, so, uh, again, Ryan's going, oh, maybe we need to do a little screen- spring cleaning anyways. But lo and behold, the box of wires is alive. It's glowing purple, oh my god. Uh, and of course, to add comedy to it, Ryan needs a cable for, uh, a VGA cable for his uh, computer monitor. Uh, and he has a nice little apple. Um, and Kira gets to go, oh, you need that? Oh, I thought... You know, of course, the day that I go to throw out the cables is the day you need it. Well, unfortunately for Kira, she becomes Cable-oo-hoo. And, uh, turns into a cable monster. Uh, but it's a nice, again, it's a nice little comedic short film. It's really a cute idea, a cute concept. Uh, and, uh, I kind of likened their conversation at the beginning of the short to conversation Edward and I've had before. Uh, Edward has had with me, actually, to be honest, because he's my uh, audio-visual superstar in this house, and I would be remiss if I did not recognize that, Um, but that whole conversation of, oh, this cable will make things run faster. Oh, this cable's great. Oh, you need this cable? Oh, well, I have this cable. VGA to, you know, auxiliary to adapt this, adapt that, you know. Uh, general conversations like, oh, you know, um, <laughs> he's my go to guy on that. So uh, it, it's kind of nice. It's kind of, I, I kind of, it was nice to relate to something like that and to have him there and be like, <laughs> this is me and you every single day but not every single day. Okay, we have a lot more to talk about than cables. Um, but yeah, again, I really enjoyed the in theater experience and and watching those shorts and the full film. Um, and it was also uh it had an ASL interpreter and it was closed captioned, which was great because I'm all for accessibility and uh if we have film festivals that are accessible to everyone, that's fantastic. I don't generally see that very often. Uh, and I think, uh, like, over uh, the last year or so, I'm starting to see a lot more accessibility. Um, and it's, it's being talked about a lot more often. There's a big, big talk about ableism, but I'm not going to get political here. Uh, at the same time, it, it's just really nice to see uh, an entire, uh, part of, like, an entire, like, an entire group being included in something, and, and, again, especially for such a, like, for an independent film festival to do that, that's leaps and bounds, and people should take notice for that, um, but, Again, I I was quite impressed with the in-theater experience. I love the Royal Cinema. I I love uh, old-school cinemas and projectors. They're slowly dying out. Let's save them all and and revamp them and make them for everybody. But I also love just being back out in theaters in general. And, I I mean, you guys have heard me on the podcast talking to David before about that, about how much I've missed being in the in-theater experience. He has, too. Um, those of us who are cinephiles, it's been really hard over the past year and a half to really come to terms with the fact that streaming is sort of the way um, and, that, and the film industry sort of took a hit for that, especially, you know, cinemas. So it's just nice to be able to go out and support a small uh, independent cinema and throw a few dollars their way. And, again, supporting independent film festivals, I mean, that's where kind of all the best ideas come out of. I mean, some of the smaller uh, independent film festivals have found their way into, into the big mainstream ones like TIFF or Tribeca, you know, um, Telluride, a, a whole bunch of other, you know, Sundance, all of those really small independent film festivals all over the world have been able to make their thing. Films that have come out of there have really, uh, have come out, have come out of independent film festivals, have really made their mark in the mainstream media, uh, and big film festivals as a result. And I mean, a small idea that someone might have that has been presented in this, presented in this film festival might even lead to an even bigger idea later. Um, and it's 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 just you know overall um, support and independence um, and uh, you know what else can I say about it really without really mincing my words here <laughs> but again solid solid entries. Um, I unfortunately was not able to get out and see the rest of the film festival. I really wanted to see Peppergrass. I think I will stream it. I will find it. I will stream it. Uh, it looked very interesting. Uh, all, uh, the Chamber of Terror also looked very interesting. Um, the unfortunate thing is, you know, if you don't buy your tickets fast, they go fast, right? And I'm very, ple- it was very pleasantly, uh, like it was very nice to see, um, all these movies get sold out over the weekend. Um, that's the only, I'd say the only drawback about this film festival is that it kind of took place on weeknights, so it, it wasn't as easy to get to. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I work full-time, and so does David. I know that he was able to get out to a lot more screens than I did, because he had press, he got the press accreditation pass for the podcast. But uh, again, um, I was, uh, you know, I, I loved all of it. Um, and I would definitely do it again next year. And I I'm going to definitely apply for that press accreditation for my pass for the film festival. Uh and. I'm looking forward to hearing David's review of Peppergrass and a few other shorts that he saw. I know that, um, having looked at the program, the program was really cool. That came with blood, like, that they handed it blood in the snow this year. It really kind of has that vintage horror film feel to it, um, and, again, it's all about the artwork. I mean, the horror film festivals kill it. I mean, Toronto After Dark kills it, too. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, again, um, uh, one of the shorts that actually took place here, uh, uh that, uh, part of the programming of shorts was She Whistles, which, I mean, we reviewed for Toronto After Dark, and I'm really glad that it's kind of making its rounds and getting exposure, because it's a really interesting short, um, and again, we talked, Dave and I talked about it at length. Uh, and it was one of our favorites out of the Canadian independent shorts uh, featured uh, at the Toronto After Dark Film Festival. Um, and so, again, very very happy to see those make, make see it make its rounds, and to actually attend a film festival in theaters. A lot of film festivals, because of the restrictions here in Ontario, uh, a lot of them didn't. Uh, Didn't get in theater screenings. And it was a nice little experiment, too, um, to see film festivals uh, do uh, streaming platforms instead of in theater. I think it's a nice little mix. Um, uh, Again, I I like the fact that, um, again, I love the fact to be back in, in theaters and get popcorn and snacks and... And, and and watch a, a watch a movie and unpack it with uh, someone after I think that's probably like other than watching the film that's my favorite part is being able to sit and unpack it and and uh, drive Edward crazy because I did after this one um, and I was just like oh what do you think did you like it was it fun uh, and he he enjoyed it, unfortunately he didn't want to not do it justice, so, and it's been a few days since we watched the film, so he was just like, I don't want to butcher this, I don't want, this is your thing, honey, and I mean, I really do appreciate his support of the podcast, um, and of what we're, uh, what David's doing here, and allowing me to do here, um, but yeah, I'm just really, really happy to unpack things, and I really recommend going to see this, guys. Um, again, it's, it was actually distributed by Shudder, and uh, please go and watch it, guys. Go watch Vicious Fun. Be a vicious fanatic. All right. Well, this is me uh, signing off for May Contain Violence. My name is Mallory, and Edward's still in the box. And I hope you have a very spooky evening. Good night.